You're listening to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. This week marks one year since white nationalists, white supremacists, Nazis all marched in the streets of Charlottesville, Virginia. The Unite the Right march gave way to violence, including the death of Heather Heyer after a self-identified white supremacist rammed his car into a crowd of counter-protesters. This week, those far-right hate groups hoped to hold another rally in Washington, D.C. That march attracted just a couple dozen people. Go to downtown Detroit on a Saturday night and you'll find bachelor and bachelorette parties with more people than that. Does that say anything about the state of openly bigoted people in the United States. Can we say they're less emboldened today than they were just a year ago, or is that a dangerous assumption? We want to spend the rest of the time today talking about race and racism. We want to talk about white supremacy and the new face of white supremacy, the new bold face of white supremacy that we saw in places like Charlottesville. And here to help us dissect that is Heather McGee. She is a distinguished senior fellow with Demos, a New York-based public policy think tank. She is an expert on race and inequality. Heather, welcome to Detroit Today. I'm so glad to be with you. Yes. Uh, so let's start with what we have learned and what we have not learned as a country since the violence in Charlottesville a year ago. I was very interested in a lot of the coverage over the weekend, which seemed to focus on what was happening now in Washington or in Charlottesville, but not really looking back and not really contextualizing, I guess, uh, what what's going on. Uh, with race and racism in America right now. What was your reaction to this one-year anniversary? You know, I was asked by Politico magazine to reflect on the one-year anniversary. And, you know, this has been such a uh, stressful and hectic year Mm -hmm. in responding to, you know, racial conflict and incidents of racism. I mean, for someone whose job it is, it is, you know, it's been uh, a crazy year. And so in some ways it was hard to, to pick out one thing because I agree with you, Stephen, that it's it's not just about, I think a lot of people would like to think of, uh, you know, the, the torch-bearing Nazis in Charlottesville as something that's of a different kind entirely mm-hmm. than the other kind of racist acts that we see every day across the country. But I don't think we have the luxury of thinking that way. Mm. That said, what I ended up reflecting on is, you know, the chant that the Nazis were uh, uh, screaming mm-hmm. um, that night in Charlottesville. Uh, you will not replace us. Right. They also said Jews will not replace us. Yes. They said you will not replace us. And I started to think about that idea, the idea that white people are uh, an embattled soon-to-be minority in this country. Um, uh, surveys show that white respondents overestimate the number of people of color that are in this country. Um, surveys and research also show that white people increasingly see progress or even the presence of people of color as something that has to come at their expense, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. This idea of sort of a zero-sum racial competition. And interestingly, in that same study, um, it was by two Harvard researchers, Norton and Summers, 
they found that black people in the survey didn't see it that way. They thought people of color could progress and it not be directly at the expense of white people. And so I started to think about the connection between that very blood and soil Nazi chant, you will not replace us, and the general story that is being told in the right-wing media and by right-wing politicians that just says, these people of color are a threat to you. Mm-hmm. It's not mm-hmm. just that they're here, the immigrants, it's that they're actually going to hurt you in some way, whether it's kill your innocent children or the way Donald Trump emphasizes you know, the, the relatively low number of crimes by undocumented immigrants, or they're going to take your jobs, which is a much more mainstream um, sort of linchpin of uh, the over 10,000 Republican ads uh, this campaign cycle that have been anti-immigrant about job stealing and dangerous threatening immigrants. Mm-hmm. So I think there is a link in the story that is being told so often. And I think that's very dangerous. This idea of a zero-sum racial competition, you know, a house divided cannot stand. We are on our way to becoming a multiracial democracy. And I think it's very important that particularly in white communities, that not be seen as a direct threat, but something that could enrich the country overall. So so rooting what we're seeing and what we're hearing in fear uh, Mm -hmm. rather than... Uh, or maybe in, or maybe in addition to hatred, uh, I, I think gives it a different it gives it a different patina because uh, I have to say as an African American, as an African American father, uh, I have fear. I have great fear right now about mm. uh, the things that are happening in this country and how they could affect me or my son or my daughter. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and I, I, I wonder if, uh, I wonder if you th- think that state of fear on both sides mm-hmm. is something new, right? Is yeah. that a is that a new development in in the racial history of this country and the racial discussions that we've been having for two hundred years, uh, or are there other periods where the fear of uh, uh, of blacks was mirrored, for instance, uh, in in a fear that that the majority population has? You know, I think that is uh, has been the name of the game for so long. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we like to think of racists as hateful people. Mm-hmm. And I think you just have to recognize that this country survived and thrived with uh, great testaments to equality and liberty. Um, and those were all not hateful people mm-hmm. for hundreds of years. Mm-hmm. You know, was the shopkeeper, the, the trolley car driver, you know, <laughs> were they all hateful people who sort of walked around wanting to kill black people? Some of them were, certainly, but I think that lets everybody off the hook to mm-hmm. think of it that way. And I think this idea of fear is actually much more uh, accurate. Mm-hmm. And I think it has been the dynamic for so long. A, to project. I mean, I remember growing up, um, my mother always said, you know, it's crazy that they're so, they, white people, are so uh, afraid of us when they are the ones who can kill us with impunity. Right, right. You know, I mean, they are the ones who have been able to, you know, to, uh, you know, very much in instances that were very real for our family, the stories of, of you know grandparents and great aunts and cousins and great greats who had been lynched and raped and had their houses and businesses burned down, and so the idea of that projection of um, 
but but that black people were dangerous mm-hmm. um, is such an important part of the psychology of racism. And I will say that right now, you know, immigrants are feeling terrorized with good reason. Sure. Uh, Muslim Americans are feeling profiled. Black people are, um, you know, both experiencing it in their daily lives and being bombarded with, with video footage every day of some kind of racist incident. And then white people are being told by the uh, by the president of the United States, by the you know one of the highest-rated cable news networks, mm-hmm. that their lives are in danger every day from a sort of menacing uh, brown and black threat. Sure. And the only people who aren't afraid are very wealthy people, people <laughs> like the president of the United States, who are sowing that fear and distrust. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I like to think about the fact that we need to recognize that the idea of believing that other people and other races and ethnicities are a threat to you is a very old idea. But we have to start thinking about who's marketing that idea. Who's benefiting when that idea becomes widespread among working and middle-class white people? Um, You know, and I think the only, the answer has to be that the only people who are benefiting are people who are reaping the spoils of right. the economic and political status quo. And mm-hmm. that's very wealthy uh, people who, you know, are passing huge tax cuts and taking away our health care while we fight about, um, you Race. know, symbolic, you right. know, symbolic gestures like uh, athletes kneeling to protest police violence. Right, right. So if you want to join the conversation, we're talking about Charlottesville a year later. Uh, Do you think we're more or less racially divided now than we were a year ago when Nazis openly rallied in the streets of Charlottesville? What conversations have you been having with friends, relatives, or even complete strangers about race in 2018? And have those conversations changed? Do you sense growing understanding or coming together, or are we moving further apart. As always, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we will work you into the conversation. Um, I want to talk a little bit about uh, how, how emboldened uh, we see race, racist, uh, racist thought and, and action right now. And whether you think uh, Charlottesville uh, was, was anomalous in that way or that there are other signs of that that have developed since then or even before and are maybe gaining, gaining power. Yeah. You know, our friends at the Southern Poverty Law Center have done a really wonderful job yes. uh, tracking the, uh, the sort of you know, fortunes and fates of of the white supremacists and the hate groups. Um, the Unite the Right rally last year with uh, hundreds of armed white supremacists and Nazis uh-huh. was an anomaly. It was absolutely, there was a direct line between the election of Donald Trump, mm-hmm. who was endorsed by David Duke and the KKK and who had a racist rhetoric in his campaign from day one, um, There was a direct line from his election to the sense that they could move into the mainstream and show their force of strength, particularly over the issue of Confederate statue removal. Um, You know, the fact that one of the uh, uh, 
uh, Nazis and white supremacist uh, sympathizers who was there then did something that had been talked about in chat rooms and even on Fox News mm -hmm. quite a bit in response to Black Lives Matter protests in the street, which is drive a car through uh, a crowd of protesters and killed uh, a young white woman. Um, the fact that the, the beating of DeAndre Harris in the parking lot was videotaped, and the fact that, frankly, this was not the police, but activists uh, and social media, um, uh, uh, people with strong social media pro profiles, were able to find these people who were sure. you know, not covering their faces and make it difficult for them to avoid accountability has actually had an effect. Yeah. And you saw this past weekend that it was just a couple of dozen people in Washington, D.C., thousands of, um, of police and thousands of, of, of demonstrators for, for love and equality was, I think, progress. And I think we mm. shouldn't ignore that. Mm. At the same time, over the past year, we've had almost a dozen white power rallies in Washington and Oregon State. Mm -hmm. These mm -hmm. are different groups than the groups that were in Charlottesville. Um, and, you know, Washington and Oregon have their own long, sordid history with, with white supremacy. And, you know, you had the, the man who uh, attacked the, the women on the, the subway in Oregon um, and killed a bystander. And, um, and then most importantly, and I think most terrifyingly, you've had um, about a dozen named card-carrying white supremacists and Nazis running for office on the mm -hmm. Republican ticket. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, you have in Illinois, in suburban Illinois, not far from where I grew up, you have the person who won the Republican nomination uh, is, you know, the former head of the American Nazi Party. Right, right. Um, you have uh, Russell Walker in the North Carolina State Legislature uh, who believes that whites are superior. And his, and his campaign website reads like a, a, you know, white supremacist dark web website. You have Corey Stewart, who is the Virginia governor nominee in the Republican Party, um, who, you know, embraces the quote-unquote alt-right. Yeah. So, you know, not to mention the policies and the, you know, rhetoric and the incidents from the White House in this past year. So I do think that there's been a victory in that they're ordinary white supremacists are scared in some places and in very, very publicized events to actually go and recreate Charlottesville. Hmm. Um, but we can't lose sight of the momentum that's happened to bring these voices into politics, into mainstream Republican politics, and that there are hotspots across the country where people are still marching in the streets. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Let's go to Mike in Roseville. Mike, welcome to Detroit Today. Hi. Um, yeah, I saw in the news the other day in Florida there's a new law where um, where the right to bear arms and uh, you can shoot to um, defend yourself at any time. Uh, everybody's probably seen this, or most everybody. The stand your um, ground laws, sure. Stand your ground laws, yes. And um, a black gentleman um, was beating this guy up, or about to. It was pretty obvious watching the video. And... Um, so the guy uh, retaliated, wouldn't just simply shot him, and ultimately mm -hmm. that one shot killed him. Yeah. And um, I think that's um, I think that's the main reason um, that there's a you know that I think that's a problem. Yeah. And that's um, all I have to say. Yeah. No, Mike, I I appreciate the call. Stand your ground laws, however, I don't think are are new in Florida. I I, I think. We are starting to see more of the outcomes 
of those laws uh, uh, being on the books. And, and I think uh, there's no question that the incident that you're talking about um, uh, is one of the things that, that sort of sets up that fear dynamic, the fear mm-hmm. that African-Americans have, that uh, they may be killed uh, by, by white people for things that are not, uh, not uh, you know, imminent threats or danger, and the, the fear that whites have of blacks in situations that are not uh, quite so fraught. Uh, but, Mike, I really appreciate the call and the comments. Let's go to Albert in Southfield. Albert, welcome to Detroit Today. Yeah, I think a lot of the stuff economic, because these poor whites out here are blaming trouble on, on minorities. The fact of the matter is, uh, uh, black folks didn't bring, uh, 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 poor whites didn't bring black folks over here. It was the rich guys while I'm over here. Mm-hmm. The poor whites didn't bring Mexicans uh, uh, over here. The rich guys did. You make this problem up, you bring it from black people being over here, you bring it from the Mexican being over here, and then, was, then you get upset with them trying to find some uh, some freedom to live in this country, or get mad at them. So I think these guys got to look at themselves. All these problems was brought up by the father. Father's case is a white corporation and the white government. Hmm. So that's, that's what that's, uh, the problem stays, uh, the problem stems from those people right there. They have all yeah. the control. Yeah, Albert, in my I've... opinion. I appreciate the call uh, and the comments. Uh, there's no question that, uh, again, economic fear plays into this uh, and, and, and history. Uh, I appreciate that, that call and those comments. Let's go to Cindy in Madison Heights. Cindy, welcome to Detroit today. Hi, thank you. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to comment that I am a suburban white woman who seems who you know wants the race discussion to be something that people would like to talk about. But an awful lot of white people don't seem to want to talk about it. It mm. makes them uncomfortable, and it's not something that they want to upset themselves with. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cindy, that's that's an acknowledgement of a different kind of fear, right? The uh, fear of acknowledging that this is an issue, the fear of having an uncomfortable conversation uh, about race. There's no question that we see lots of that as well. Uh, let's go uh, finally to Craig. Craig Folly, who used to host this show. Uh, Craig, welcome to Detroit Today. You there? You know, I just wanted to sort of get to this issue of, of the fear part of it. Uh, mm-hmm. I remember about 20 years ago covering the militia movement when it started here in Michigan, obviously, and talking to a lot of the people that were attached to that. And it seemed to me that almost to a person, there was this fear that there would be like a day of reckoning you know, when the racial balance in this country changed, that there was going to be some sort of retribution. And so much of it was based on these outlandish stories that mm-hmm. weren't true about things that happened in the fall of a, after the fall of apartheid in South Africa. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. There was concern that land was going to be taken away right. and that our rights would be taken away and people would be killed. And the weird thing about it was that almost all of them had this sort of undercurrent that it might be justified if it happened, given the historical treatment of people in this country. Yeah, Craig. A really weird dynamic. Yeah, Craig, I appreciate the call. We're running out of time, but I want to give Heather McGee, we've got about uh, 30 seconds left, uh, a chance to respond to those, those calls. I'm really glad you said that because it's true. I think because we have not had in this country a process of actually facing our history, mm-hmm. processing it together, a truth and reconciliation effort, there is this fear that becoming a numerical minority will put white people in the same position that black people and other people of color have been when they've been in a numerical minority, which yeah. is an oppressed underclass. Yeah. Yeah. And that's not something that black people believe. That's yeah. not the future that we see. And yet it is a fear. And you can understand why. But I think we have to process that as a country, because otherwise this fear is driving us 
to to really undermine everything that we share in common in this yeah. country. Yeah. Um, and yeah. so I'm really glad you raised that point. Yeah. Okay. Heather McGee, Distinguished Senior Fellow with Demos. Thanks for being here with us on Detroit Today. Thank you, Stephen. It's going to do it for me today. I'll be back tomorrow. I hope you will, too. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's public radio station, community service of Wayne State University. We'll see you tomorrow.